Welcome to Takramcast. In this episode, we welcome Dan and Fongyi, two Tokyo-based designers who work on the intersection between design and play. And today, me, Ken, will be navigating this podcast. To begin with, I would like to ask for introduction from both of the guests, maybe from Dan. Hi, uh, I'm Daniel Coppen, and I <laughs> am the co-founder of uh, Studio Playful. And we're all about uh, having a play approach, play-based approach to design and engineering to uh, create all sorts of new ways to play. Mm-hmm. And the other co-founder, Saki, appeared in the last podcast. So if you can listen to Japanese, you're more than welcome to listen to that as well. And you, Fongyi? Hi, um, I'm Fongyi, and I'm an artist and educator based in Tokyo. Um, I primarily teach children um, age 5 to 14 um, programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try to do it through a playful approach. So not like um, not like a boot camp style, mm-hmm. um, but more about engaging their curiosity and um, imagination. Mm, interesting. I'm doing this podcast because both of you are very interested in play, which is not necessarily a concept that you usually have on design, I guess. There are some playfulness, but you take it seriously. You take playfulness seriously. So I was kind of interested in how you both of you got to the concept of play to begin with and also why that, how, what you do with it as well. Mm. <laughs> or maybe let's start with that. Like, what, why did you get into play? Because like you, on your solo website and your studio website, you're like, I'm all about play. My solo website, wow, you dug that up. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I really need to go back, back to 2017, where uh, basically that was around the time Saki and I met, mm-hmm. and immediately we um, realized we had a very, we both had a very like playful approach, mm-hmm. more like aesthetically, I guess, to mm-hmm. how we like design. And since we, that's not something we found mm-hmm. in everyone else around us, we wanted to kind of do a project together and like build on what like playful design means to us, mm-hmm. uh, what it means in general. Um, so that's how how it kind of started. And then one of the first projects we did to help to start like evolve this idea of play design was we made a workshop called the uh, Playful Workshop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and that was very that, creative. That was where, <laughs> I mean, but you know, playful as in our name, with the two O's, not the U. Right. And that's where the name kind of uh, came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and we held that workshop in Japan and tested in the UK, and it was it was mostly for it, we did it because of um, uh, we were doing a guest lecture at Ko. Okay. Yeah, and so um, so I got the opportunity uh, to go in contact with her um, old lecturer, asked mm-hmm. to do like a interesting lecture we thought well, this would be a good chance to kind of understand play more ourselves and but through trying to teach it to other people mm. so we made this like workshop toolkit with different exercises that tried to get people to create um what we thought is playful designs mm-hmm. and after i mean the workshop did quite well and we proceeded to continue doing it with uh mimicry design mm-hmm. and we're still doing that now mm-hmm. um but yeah, after doing the workshop, we we're kind of like, okay, how can we, you know, we want to take this further and we wanted to turn this into like 
okay, beyond the workshop, what else can we do together? What, you know, can we evolve this into like our own studio? And that's mm. where we kind of created Studio Playful to kind of continuously explore this idea of like play and design. Uh, and that's, yeah, that, like, I guess that's how we got into play. <laughs> now, here we are. That's interesting. I didn't know that you started off with the aesthetics of playfulness and then really went on to explore the concept itself. Yeah, I think it's, I think we just kind of won, um, like for me, because I'm like really into video games. Okay. And that's kind of, like Saki totally isn't. But that was kind of like my, you know, I, I think at GID I was also trying to do projects that was kind of about games. I'm trying to find like a more important, like, purpose for games and i was trying to like try to find a deeper meaning behind it save the world save the world for games kind of um and so that kind of spun into like thinking about okay games and that connected to play and then I, we started focusing on play because that was the more mutual connection between mm. us and yeah it's like we both we both appreciated like playful aesthetics but mm. we kind of wanted to understand play and design as something more than just like aesthetics yeah and now it's kind of come to the point where you know, we don't need to consider things like that seem playful and fun to mm. be playful design by our definition. Mm. We define it as something else. Mm. Um, I don't know if we're going to touch on the definition, particularly <laughs> in another question. Um, I mean, you, you could get into I, it. I, 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 I don't want I, to. I'm totally into it. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so we don't think um, our approach to playful design right now and it's still evolving uh this is just where it is right now um which is our greatest feeling for so far but yeah it's not about something just appearing to be fun or silly or childlike or colorful or those kind of things we find that quite like shallow although i think it is important in some contexts um yeah it's not what kind of turns us on about play and design so for us play is more about Playful design is something that has an element which allows people to participate creatively in some form. Okay, okay. So this kind of, you know, that may seem a little off topic compared to this like aesthetic definition of play, mm. um, of playfulness. Uh, but that comes from the kind of core definition of play, mm. which is more like play for children. Um, for children's growth at a young age, play is all about this process of exploration, experimentation, exercising the imagination, and ultimately um, exercising their creativity. So with that definition of play, that is what we apply to our designs. Mm. So we want to create things which allow people to experience that form of play, that okay. childlike form of play where they can explore with it, they mm. can create with it, and it is a tool for them to exercise their creativity. Ah, interesting. So if you've got like few codes of participation that's prepared in your designs, I guess. Um, what do you mean? Like experiments, for example. Yeah, I think it's difficult to try to like shoehorn it in. Mm. Like, yeah, we don't want to just um, put it in if it doesn't make sense, but we always try to have an element of something that can at least, like at least in a little way, mm. like something that allows some form of like, I mean, this is what it is right now again, but mm. um, some like our designs always try to have, allow some element of um, like customization 
mm. some element which the user can explore with and change and like mm. creatively intervene with the product itself. Um, yeah. Can you also, I'll get back to you, Fongi, in a bit. Can you also introduce one of your works just to give it a bit more context? Because I think so far we've just talked about playfulness and yeah. not the actual work or what that means in the context of design. Sure, I think. Um, I think it's the best example. I'll give a couple. So, the. Um, without taking too much time. Um, so yeah, uh, I think one of the our best examples is uh, the graduation project Saka and I did together, uh, mm. which was called Naughty, and it is a um, it's a coding toy for kids, but it tries to stay entirely away from screens and focus entirely on a very like simplistic um, analog interaction to create with technology. And it does so by uh, featuring multiple different blocks, so physical mm -hmm. wooden blocks. Uh, so you have inputs and outputs, and with little rings attached to them. And how they're connected is uh, users will literally take a magic rope mm -hmm. and tie one block uh, to the other block. And then just like that, they're connected. So once the, the input button, for example, is connected to the LED output, uh, and you tie a knot between them, then you can push it, and then it will turn on. So it's a very like, it's a very 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 simplistic way for kids. This was targeted towards kids, for kids to create uh, with technology in a very simplistic and fluid way. Mm. Um, so yeah, in that case, this was playful because it is a tool for creativity. I think mm. that's a stronger example where it's like literally. Um, pieces, components to mm. be created with. Uh, but yes, not every design can be like that. We can't always be making um, essentially Tools, building blocks. Yeah. Uh, and more importantly, it's not always for kids. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that we don't see that often. I think we, we're beginning to see a lot of like creative STEM tools and that kind of stuff mm. for kids these days. I think that's like a quality that like uh, parents and um, startups are uh, appreciating more, we're seeing a lot of like different coding toys coming out like every other year, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a bit too much. I think while and they I, disappear. They come and go. <laughs> I mean, like, um, I mean, that's kind of like why Naughty, uh, the concept never went anywhere in mm. particular because it was like, you know, after we graduate, it's like, okay, okay, realistically, if we want to make this real and get people, get this actually to influence some people's lives and get them to use it. It's like, what are we going to do? We're going to like raise money and like work on this as a startup for like three years. Like I'm already sick of the project after like graduation <laughs> show. I'm already over it. And like, yeah. And I think that's, it's because it's so expensive to do hardware as well. Mm. And the case of these blocks, they're like, there were six different blocks with like batteries in each of them. And you need to think of charging and like, how do you charge six blocks? And it's like such a mess. Um, I can see why a lot of, uh, a lot of them that go too well. Um, but actually, on that note, we, we are, I don't know if Saki mentioned it before, but we did manage to sell Naughty recently to a company. And so they are going to do something with it. Wow. Um, we don't know what they'll do with it. 
So, but we. <laughs> but we, you sold the IP. We sold the IP and the concepts, and you know they love it. They love the core idea. So hopefully they'll be able to take this like knotting interaction and turn it into. Oh, like, wow. I don't know how much they're going to transform that. I really don't know how this works. It's the first time we've done anything like this. But yeah, I mean, if it managed to get the get the idea out there, then we're super excited and for it. Oh, that's pretty yeah. cool. And the other example. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, play isn't always about um, children. Again, yeah, oh my god. Yeah. Spinning out with joy off the rails. Um, yeah, we're seeing a lot of like coding toys. A lot of people focusing like play for, good play for kids, but mm. no one ever focuses on good play for adults. Mm. It's like, you know, it, people just seem to think like once you hit like, I don't know, secondary school, primary school or something, you just like screw every form of hands on yeah. play and going to the park. It's like, you're too old for that. It's like, you're not too old for that. There's like that point where it's like people stop going to the park. It's like that is all downhill from there. Mm. And like people still need this, um, people still need this form of like physical exploration like of course once you're a certain age you're not going to need it in the same way you know mm. uh, kids are learning like basic social skills yes exercising um tactile exploration that kind of stuff um and obviously like you know adults don't need that as much but they still need some form of created outlet mm. Uh, in their everyday lives and so yeah that's what we also try to focus on like how can we get adults to play as well how can we mm. get adults to improve and exercise their creativity because mm. we think that's really important for progress in the world like we think progress in the world you're getting world bigger because <laughs> well it's i mean yeah we we just feel like you know we've seen a lot of industries aren't particularly creative I think the way yeah. a lot of work is structured is really um, hampers uh, creativity, and people need to have more ways to create uh, in their everyday lives. At least, or like through their work, it needs to. They should be able to. Everyone should be able to be creative, mm. and think um, critically in their jobs, because that's kind of you know that's what's going to drive innovation. Mm. Um, so that's what we also try to do. We try to provide ways in which to get a little bit of creativity in everyone's um, everyday life as well. Uh, so yes. the other project I wanted to mention was we did something called, and this might actually be a good segue, is a project we did with Fongi, um, which is not the way we met, but it was the second time we met, basically. Um, we did a project together uh, that was all about um, playing in the city. We wanted to create mm. a way for people to play in a public space outside. Mm -hmm. And so the project began with trying that we wanted to essentially make a playground for adults. That's mm. kind of the dream, yeah. um, the dream project for Saki and I. Mm -hmm. It's like the white whale of like, mm. but we're still trying to understand what that even means. Because mm. of course it's gonna be a little more than like like the set of squid game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the yeah. giant sized slime swing. Yeah, you know, it's gonna be a bit <laughs> more than that. Um, but doing this project, it was like very low budget and very short time. So it was just like we used that as an opportunity. It was with YCAM. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't even remember, I can't remember the name of the program. Like, that it was for. But it was with YCAM. Yeah, yeah. And it happened multiple places across Japan. But mm -hmm. yeah, the, that, was our, that was our goal to make some form of creative intervention in the public 
And ultimately what we created was something called the Neighborhood Renku, mm -hmm. um, which, um, I mean, started off as a larger, again, this idea of like, the old playground started off as like a large intervention public, but we eventually found it was much easier to focus on a uh, digital, mm -hmm. um, digital offering, mm -hmm. which is free, easy to access mm -hmm. and also we made things in public for people to interact with turns out people don't want to touch things especially yeah. when it was last year it was like the peak of yeah. um peak cool. of COVID. is it virus free yeah it's like does it have enough alcohol on this thing <laughs> like a pump next to every like every test but basically no one wanted to touch anything and it's like yeah we don't blame them so in the end we made a um we made a website along with the qr code sticker which we slapped all around the city and if you go to the webpage, it brings you to something called the Neighborhood Ranku, which is just essentially a public, um, a public forum of sorts where people will simply uh, write one really long Ranku. And what is Ranku? So it's a, a poem, right? Yeah, a Ranku is a. I'm probably going to get this wrong, <laughs> but a Ranku is a form. A form of haiku yeah. in which multiple poets collaborate on a single poem. And yes. I believe it's never ending. Yeah, you can continue forever, yeah. basically. It's like letters, you yeah. just reply to one another with a certain theme and you can go on and on. Yeah. And so uh, we we um, made this webpage where someone can write a single or we we gave some like starter poems to mm -hmm. get going. And then once people kind of see what's going on. Uh, people can add another poem and it will put it, it will upload it and then it will appear underneath the last line. Right. So people can come, read the last line, be inspired by it as the Renku's uh, work, I believe, and they will continue to write um, a poem eternally. And what's nice is how it's, um, you know, it's, it's completely anonymous. You just mm -hmm. go to the website, you type something, you upload it, and anyone can come and write anything, basically. It's also maybe for better and for worse, completely unfiltered. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and completely un, uh, unmonitored. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, maybe perhaps it's something that works better uh, here than it would in London. But we haven't seen uh, anything particularly... Shitty or particularly shitty. problematic yeah. in any yeah. any kind of cultural or yeah. whatever causes. I think the, the most interesting results we've got from that so far is definitely been like Akihabara. That's been the most... Um, okay. Mm, we, so we put it in different neighborhoods mm -hmm. around Tokyo, and I think so. Akihabara was one. Um, we did it in my neighborhood too, Sakura Josui. Okay. Um, you did one in Shibuya as well. Yes, no? we did course, one. Yes. Shibuya was also really, really good. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's nice to. I guess Akihabara is a good example of like you have a kind of stereotypical image of the kind of people in that area, mm. and it's just nice to see how. I mean, sometimes yes, the poems are very reflective of those stereotypes, but sometimes they're not, and they're like quite, you know, quite, um, quite, uh, you know, beautiful in that mm. way to hear mm. to read someone uh, writing something like this in that area, and you know, so, sometimes it's something about their life or. Uh, again, because it's anonymous, people can just say whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes it's something uh, terrible. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like this. Maybe you can just read it out. I'm, I'm not going to be reading this out. You, you don't have to read it out. 
Yeah, this, this people, is interesting. If people go to the if people go to Agyalbo and find the QR code, mm-hmm. then they can see it for themselves. Hmm. Interesting. What's really interesting is there's this intervention between the poets. So you know, one person after another replies to themselves. So they have this like shared context and bit of playfulness, but. It's interesting for us as a viewer. You can see it, there's something that kind of makes me want to com- at least contribute to uh, mm. making this a little bit more clean somehow. Um, <laughs> Wiping it, <laughs> wipe the database. But yeah, it's like um, yeah. Ultimately, this project was just about um, giving people a little way to create in their everyday. Mm. In this case, it was through creating poems. And being inspired by what other people left, and also kind of changing the rules as well. That's another big part about play. It's all that idea of exploration is also about um, evolving rules. Um, mm. So things will always keep changing. Uh, so yeah, people can write one thing, and someone completely <laughs> writes something else. But that's okay, and then people start following that thing. Yeah. And yeah, that's kind of a really beautiful part of play. Uh, so yeah, that's. Those are two projects that we... What was the initial question? <laughs> well, what is play to you was okay. like the initial right. question. But yeah, that was a pretty interesting response and kind of like an interesting handover to Fongi, yes. maybe? So, yes, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Actually, a lot of the points that um, Dan covered uh, obviously, you know, would echo the same thoughts as mm-hmm. mine. Um, I would go back a little bit, um, you know, as to how this whole like interest in play um, mm. and things started. So when, I'm going to go back to my childhood. So okay. when I was in school. Let's go back. Yeah, I know, we can go way back. So 20 years. When I was in school, um, I was really such a, like the model student, you know. I was so terrified of like, like authority, of like you know, making a mistake, um, like failing a test, you know. Right. It was, yeah, it was terrifying. Um, and this was all throughout like, the compulsory schooling in Singapore, mm-hmm. which was about 12, no, 12, yeah, 12 years. Um, and then after that, um, I did like a design uh, diploma and that started to kind of change mm-hmm. my perspective a little. I was like, oh, like, you know, you can actually um, break rules a little. And then that, um, I got to explore that further when I went to London to mm-hmm. study. And it was just like this explosion of um, ideas and and I guess like people and like colors and everything. And um, I started um, becoming very subversive in the, mm-hmm. in the work that I was making. Um, so even though I was doing like a um, graphic communications degree, um, I was no longer interested in graphic design mm-hmm. and then I started uh, pursuing more um, I guess you would say you know installation based work or mm-hmm. like interactive type of works because I was just like yeah I'm tired of seeing something like on a screen or like on a page mm-hmm. um, and there obviously there are um, uh, reasons for those things but I just didn't want to do those so then um it was funny because for Dan, it seemed like the graduation project 
kind of started it or something, but it was very similar for me. So my own um, graduation or like uh, degree show uh, work was um, this uh, obstacle avoiding robot that I, yes. that I created. Um, it was really, really simple just with Arduino and like um, what they call it, uh, distance sensors. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I wanted to do that was because um, in a degree show in our school, there was very little space. There mm. were a lot of students, very little space, um, and everyone was fighting for like the space that they wanted. They were like, oh yeah, I'm gonna put like uh, a big TV screen. I want um, uh, three plins for my brochures and my books. And Typical. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> I was just like, okay, you know what? Like, have it, take it, take it, you know? And I, so I just said like, I'm just gonna make something that doesn't actually occupy a big space. Right. Like something that just moves around. Mm. And then there's a the whole reason for it, you know? Mm. And, um, and I just wanted to do that. Um, so I did it and it had nothing to do um, with, you know, my entire body of work in um, the three years that I spent <laughs> in university. And I just made that. And I think um, it was really, it was really something that um, was very exciting. And mm. also, I think it reminded me like what people should be doing, just, you know, having that playful approach and um also because when you come to a degree show um you don't usually see like this robot moving at least not in a graphic design kind of yes you, know, you expect things to be yeah. on the wall yeah. at least yeah 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 or you know like books to flip which i mean there were lots of yes <laughs> ones that were there but then um so creating that and then seeing how um the public interacted with it mm. and i was just like yeah you know and that's that's kind of the um i think it was something that i wanted to remind them that things don't have to always um fit a certain box you know then you were talking also about like breaking rules or like yeah. uh looking at things in a different way which is basically what play is about mm. right having that um uh, a different perspective or like changing up the rules pushing your boundaries mm-hmm. um so yeah, I think so that's kind of what um how it all started. And I think for me it's really just about breaking the rules because you know as a kid <laughs> I was just so like rule abiding, right? And then after that I was just like, yeah, no more. I'm not no more of that. Yeah. So now it's just all about like breaking rules, how do you, you know, subvert the norm or, or subvert like people's expectations. Um which is also quite a fun thing because in Japan I think um people are fairly, um, you know, law-abiding or like, you know, things, yes. there's a, a very specific process yes. the way that things, you know, happen. Um, and it's just quite nice to see, think of ways that you can, you know, like change that or just provoke it mm. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's how it all came about for me. Hmm. Interesting. I think... What's most interesting out of all this like talk that you just did for me is like none of your work looks subversive. Well, at least like right. it, it doesn't look offensive, I'd right, say. Right, 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 right. Like this robot that she just talked about is made, made of, of pom yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So it's literally like, you know, this soft looking exactly. thing. Exactly. But that's the thing though, like because people, when you think about robots, it's always very, um, very hard right yes. like 
like you know mechanical um uh, robotic mm. um very stiff yes um so i think that subverts the expectation of what you know like a robot or like mm. a, a machine is that it doesn't always have to be like this boxy metallic um yeah. monstrous thing um it doesn't have to have all the led lights because that Pombot didn't have any LED lights or any, mm. um, yeah, even the like eyes. It We're was just made of Pombots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I I would say that that was mm. subversive in that sense. It's definitely not offensive. People were like, "Oh, can I hug it?" You know, I'm like, yeah, "Not really, not too hard," because it's the wireframe was very weak. I did it in like two weeks, so I was like, "Yeah, you can hug it, but maybe don't." Not too hard. Be gentle yeah. in there. It's made yeah. of palm phones, yeah, obviously. Yeah, not like your regular like pepper the robot or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. The one that's like super hard but like round, just yeah. to make it not look so hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, I'm looking at you, Lobo. Yeah. Lobo is really cute. It is cute. Yeah, yes, but yes. I wish it was more comfy to hug. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard. Well, just put some clothes on. <laughs> just put more layers on. <laughs> just give them another little jacket. Yeah. Another put some more pom poms yeah. on, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's fun. What do you do now? So, yeah, so I mentioned briefly um, that I teach programming to kids mm-hmm. 5 to 14. Um, and I mentioned that we are a curiosity school. So, this school is uh, called Saturday Kids Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, at the moment, we have classrooms at um, Nakameguro, mm-hmm. but I also run um, after-school classes in various uh, international schools. Oh, cool. Yeah, so we, we do that, and um, I think also very much to, you know, the whole conversation that we have been having, um, you know, up to this point, that, you know, when they mentioned that adults also need to play, mm. and I think, you know, when we teach kids um programming in a playful way um it's also hoping that they keep that part of mm. themselves all the way to adulthood you know because usually they get lost right because um you have to care about your grades you have to care about what university <laughs> you have to go to you have to yeah. your entrance exams and then i learned that you know um some of the international schools um, you have you have to take exams for like preschool, and I'm just like, why? Like, what? What do preschool, you expect? Preschool, middle yeah. school, high school, yeah, uni, then, all of that requires some sort of, of yeah. And I'm like, what is the point of that? What do you expect to to grade the preschooler on? You know, like, what does this look like? A camel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they did actually. Really? But, yeah. Oh my god. Is that what it is? They like. Well, like yes. obviously, like depends on what, what grade, what, what kind of like sure, school. Sure. But well, like, what answer, okay, they show. Wait, they want to see if you know the animal in the picture, or is it like a Rorschach well, test? I think they want to see two things, right? Like, so they want to see the knowledge side. Okay. Do you actually know that this is a camel or elephant or whatever it is? Yeah. And then they want to see that you're a good girl or boy or whatever it is. Like you, you you're. You know, you follow the orders yeah, of the, the parents strictly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the presentation part, like whether you can put your shoes like back, like neatly. neatly. Are you able to sit down? Like, are you able to bow to yeah. the teachers yeah. and like you know shake hands where necessary? Yeah. You know, just sit right there until the thing yeah. is done. You yeah, know, yeah, they're yeah. looking at that more. Yeah, oh. and I I think that is just insane, right? So so when 
we run our classes. Um, we don't care about that. <laughs> like seriously, you know, kids get onto the chairs and they, um, you know, we we build things, we make things. Um, also because it's all part of that creative expression, which is also play, mm. right? It's an important part of play. Um, that they, you know, not just use their imagination, but that they can also create something for mm. themselves, right? So we teach them like um the uh fundamentals of programming, right? right. So um. It's usually uh, block-based programming because that's more uh, age-appropriate, mm-hmm. like you know, five to ten years old. Um, so they learn obviously um, the fundamentals, like what are triggers, uh, like you know, input, output, yep. and then they um, get to like build things. So for example, building um, uh, Lego structures and mm-hmm. then programming it to move. And so there is that you know, you teach them the fundamentals so that they have that tool right they can Mm. use to then um, express themselves creatively Mm. so we are giving them that tool and then creating an environment where it's safe and conducive for them to to play and to express themselves Mm. without being judged without being graded because we don't have any tests or exams um that is that is what does it look like what does this robot look like (laughs) what is this input so which is actually um i think something that is quite difficult for parents to accept because right they need to see some kind of assessment mm. right they need to see the results um, they need to see progress exactly exactly so you're like you can't tell me my my kid made this like you know yeah robotic animal made out of legos and then programmed it yeah um but then like yeah what does that mean? Yeah, 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 yeah you know. How is his programming skills? Exactly, exactly. So it has been quite tricky in that sense. Um, I think, I think it goes back again then to adults needing to play because if those parents are, you know, um, have that kind of mindset on why like play is important, then yeah, they totally get it. You know, we don't mm. need to spend hours and money trying to educate them on why it is important for kids to play. Just get the um, classes to the parents. Actually, yeah. <laughs> Which is what I, when dad was talking, I was like, well, actually, you know, this is like, you could manage to like add out the parents and then we do like the classes for the kids, you know. <laughs> like they go to like different gates and here's playboy, yeah, here's Hongi. Yeah, 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 exactly. It, it sounds like, ooh, that is something, something there. <laughs> oh, it's interesting. I'm... Also, it's also really curious to hear that both of you offer some kind of like lecture or workshops for, you know, other than your artistic and design practices. Mm-hmm. How does that connect between the two? Like, you know, you've got your own interest and you do your own work mm-hmm. and then you teach other people on the side. How does that connect? Like, is there some kind of like informing the other going on? Does the practice inform the workshops or lectures or? Well, obviously, you've got informed lecture. Hmm. I mean, Playful doesn't do that that much anymore. As I said, we work with Mimicry Design mm-hmm. to do the workshops, and that's, uh, you know, we've refined it a bit, um, you know, past, uh, past RCA after graduating. Um, but then we mostly kind of like hand it off to them. So we, okay. you know, we told okay. them that they know, they also built up the theory behind it, you know, because right. they're very like more theoretical when it comes to the workshop design. So they kind of like added more like rigor to it. Um, and now they mostly, I mean, they entirely um, hold it with other 
um, client serve. Mm. We do sometimes do um, the occasional, have we done a workshop recently? We do like a class once in a while, a lecture in, um, in KO. That's like once a year. Um, uh, but we do get, uh, Saiki's been more involved in this uh, in Japan, of course, uh, but doing, taking part in like, um, she was helping out with another mimicry workshop mm. uh, and she would like kind of add a little flavor of play into mm. it, uh, adjusted to the context of that project. Right, right. So she does it a bit. Mm. Um, me, not so much. But I think it must be quite grounding, right? Because I think designers or artists, sometimes we are in our own bubble. So sometimes doing these kind of workshops um, and, and interacting with people who maybe are not as well-versed as us in, in design or art, um, yeah, it's quite grounding, like I said. So to, to also see from their perspective and mm. what, you know, sometimes what we think is very obvious or what we see is very fun or playful may not necessarily be for them. Mm. Um, and I think, I'm sure there is some part of it that um, feeds into our work, you know, mm. like, mm. you know, running the workshops, even if it's just, um, even if you're not leading the workshops, you know, just kind of like hearing the feedback or, right. or observing the interactions uh, would inform your practice somehow. Yeah, I agree. I think it, yeah, I think maybe one of the things we've learned from doing workshops is seeing how, like, even though we would do the playful workshop with people who are like, you know, in, was it like someone who works in the government, engineers, <laughs> yeah, like a whole yeah. mix of people <laughs> who don't necessarily seem like creative and they don't consider themselves creative in any mm. capacity, but you know, they, throughout the workshop, they really prove that they can mm. really do a lot of creative things once they're given the right like environment to do so. Uh, and that's very like, you know, reassuring for us to know like it is possible People just, they just need the push and it's like you know we're not just going to make things that people that doesn't really work with people mm. it's like we know it is possible you know if a, if a japanese government worker can make a really interesting and fun idea it's like we can't at that point <laughs> i i think for both of you the, your practices are pretty grounded because like when you look at well we've got clients and they ask for sometimes like Oh, we want some playfulness in the interaction that happens in this shop or the website, whatever. And oh, why don't we add some gamification, whatever? But like most of those are not tested. We yeah. just theoretically and kind of believe that if we prepare this like red button here, it must be so interesting to push. That's the kind of approach that you know normal designers take, I guess. But in both of your cases, you've got this like you know hands-on experience of what play means to you, and you really try to kind of simulate and kind of yeah. get it again and again yeah. um what do you think is kind of lacking from the kind of designer perspective of incorporating that kind of playfulness and gamification because like you know usually people are just like oh this looks playful i mean you know, I, I guess you started off there but yeah um yeah i think that's i guess i didn't mention that but yeah alongside the kind of playful aesthetic definition of playfulness there's also like the gamification part as well. Mm. It gets really kind of like the 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 naming gets quite like confusing, I guess, because games you play games, you play sport, and like is gamification playful design? I mean, like, I think again by our definition, um, it is not. Mm. I think game 
gamification is something else. I think it's just, I don't know if gamification is even good. It, to me, it sounds like when I hear the word, I like either cringe or like, you know, it feels negative. Maybe um, just because of like, yeah, maybe it's just, especially how it's being. What used. happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just more like, um, I guess just how it's being used for, um, they were just thinking things like mobile games and that kind of stuff, whereas mm. this kind of like very shallow incentives are used to like basically make money to like convince people to buy stuff. Yeah. And it's like, is that get is your that, coins, get your freaking coins, <laughs> do whatever, yeah, get your premium coins and buy your stuff to make Pokemon evolve or whatever. It's like, yeah, I don't know. And it's like, is that the ultimate purpose of all this? Make people buy do microtransactions? It's like. Hmm. And get more money. And get more money. But I think that that's where the whole like um creative expression comes in, right? So when you play games, you're just kind of reaching a goal. But then when we talk about you know being playful, you put yourself into it. You're mm. creating usually creating something, and and I think that's why we was talking about how um a lot of the STEM toys or whatever they they usually tank because. They, you, there is kind of like, there's no open-ended um, play in that, you know, you just achieve um, like objectives A, B, C, and then after that, okay, then the toy just sits in the corner. Right. But I think successful STEM toys, or I guess successful play in general, has that kind of room for the user to, to actually create something and to express themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think... I think- Open-ended is very big keyword. Yeah. Gonna say it louder to the mic. Open-ended play. Yeah, it's it's really um yeah, I think that's a really important point. It's like I, I think again this is gonna get confusing with the naming, but yeah, like video games is not are not playful. You play video games, but they are not playful design. There are some video games which we would call playful design. You're making it more difficult. I'm making it more difficult now. For example, Super Mario, the classic, not playful. It is a game, but it is linear. It has an objective. It goes from A to B. There's no room for anything beyond that. Mm. At least not for the average player. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, there's some like speedrunners who do some crazy, right. crazy yeah. stuff, but uh, for the average player, no. Minecraft, on the other hand, is a game, you play it, but it is also playful because it has a very open-ended element and allows people to exercise and express their creativity. So but from our definition, that is playful design. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess the extreme end of playful design is what Fongi expresses as rule-breaking, right? Like you break the rules and you kind of break the game itself. I guess like if you're just playing a Pokemon Go, you're bind it to those games, right? Like, yeah. there's no way to make that coin other than actually make that money. Mm. Yeah. But if there is another way to kind of break into those rules, tap into some kind of different region, then I guess it, you know, opens up different ways. I yeah. guess that's where you express that kind of feeling for Super Mario. For some players, that yeah. can be yeah, exactly. done. When <laughs> Yeah, there's some like people who put in, like they know how to input certain like directions, and then that somehow rewrites the code of the game, and they can like teleport to the end or something. I'm like, I have no idea what's happening, but good for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
And on that note, I guess it means that, you know, with every single system or games or whatever you're facing, I guess you can have a playful mindset. You just need to stick to that and not kind of get eroded by the rules, I guess. Even if it looks like, you know, oh, this is all systematic. There's no way to kind of yeah. change this at all. There's always a hint, at least in case of Super Mario, yes. <laughs> but even with like government cities that you both did, I guess there's always a, a kind of like, you know, a way for people to put some playfulness in it. And I guess both of your works kind of introduce that concept itself and kind of allow people to think about them somehow, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully. I think, yeah, in terms of like how designers can try to bring our idea of playfulness more into their designs. I don't want to boil it down to one thing, but I guess it's just like, I guess definitely consider um, areas which the user can mm, modify, change things, an outlet for them to express some form of creativity to a little element of open-endedness mm. you don't need to try to make the whole thing based on like an open-ended structure just to like you can start with just like one element to begin mm. with um i think that's a good start uh, yeah what do you think yeah, yeah I, I think so like the whole whole idea about yeah open-endedness um again having that space and environment for for users to create something and express themselves mm. yeah Interesting. Well, so that'll be nearing the end of the podcast, I guess. If you have anything that you'd like to announce or you just need to say, now is the moment. Uh, didn't even touch on it, but <laughs> Saki and I have been doing a YouTube channel for a while now, which is all about like finding new ways to play. Right now, it's about hacking more uh, like existing toys and, and games and that kind of stuff and finding new ways to kind of push their creativity, their creative potential to the next level. Um, but we'll be doing a lot more original stuff uh, soon. So what I can say is... Uh, when is that? When is that? <laughs> when is that soon? What? Oh, well, the next video is coming out. Okay. Soon. <laughs> soon. In like, follow and December. December. Right. Yeah, just, you know, <laughs> smash that like button. <laughs> smash that... Destroy that subscribe button. Um, yeah, please follow us. Yeah, the link will be in the descriptions. Mm, yeah. Um, well, for myself, again, also this we didn't really talk about at all, um, but I'm actually working on um, an arts and tech project um, in Singapore mm -hmm. as part of the National Arts Council in Singapore. And um, this project, um, me and a collaborator, we are doing um it basically we're trying to create um different ways for kids with special needs to also express themselves creatively okay. and i mean uh kids with special needs we're looking more at um kids with uh physical disabilities so they are likely to not be able to create in the same way that we do, like pick up a pen or, you know, um, build blocks or, or build stuff. Um, so we are looking at how technology can then 
empower them to still create something um, despite their disabilities. So that's what we're working on. Um, and we are publishing like the, the prototypes and um, our research uh, sometime in January. Okay. Uh, so we will be able to you know, share with the public like what we have done um, and also the prototypes that we have made. Hopefully people can also try them and even um, you know, continue adding on top of it. Yeah. Nice. Where should we check that out? Um, on your website? I think, I think I'll have to provide a link or on my website. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I'll get the descriptions on the website. Yeah. Cool. So that's it for this episode. Thank you, both of you, for joining. And that's all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Stay playful.